0: Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hello and welcome to a special episode of The Cinephiles. Uh, my name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, a producer, and writer here in Los Angeles.
0: And the reason that we're talking right now is sort of a sad reason, which is that with well, the great director, Milos Forman, passed away a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought he's a director we have talked about on the show, but yes. a long, long time ago. And uh, so we wanted to say a few words about him now because um, he's a fascinating, fascinating director. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film that we talked about with him was Amadeus. Right. And it actually was one of the very first episodes we recorded way back in the very beginning of the show. And for me, I don't know how you feel, but mm. I think that was the episode where I kind of went oh, I think this is going to work.
1: That was the first episode that we did that I really, really loved. Yeah, it was the most nervous I'd been for an episode we were going to do because it was such an... Um, immense film to cover and get everything right and talk about plus classical music when you throw that in there as well which i'm not that familiar with so and it is one of my favorite films and my father's favorite i know i know so there was a lot that went into that and i agree with you when i left that day i felt like we had really got it right
0: yeah i mean because you know as as people who have listened to the show from the beginning or gone back to the early episodes know it took us a while to find our format and to sort of find the structure and amadeus i think was a key moment on that journey mm-hmm. where we started to go, okay, this is how this thing is going to work. And of right. course we owe it all to the great director, Milos Forman. Uh, he was born in Czechoslovakia. He actually, they, he was hidden during world war II. Um His, his, I was a little unclear because his mother was killed in Auschwitz, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think there's who his real father was is some kind of a bit of a mystery. Oh. I think the person that he thought was his father was killed in Buchenwald. Okay. And then there was another, person who was actually his father, mm-hmm. who actually survived the Holocaust. Right. Um, and he became a filmmaker in Czechoslovakia under the Soviet Union and then came to the United States to make uh, some fascinating movies, the first of which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. That is definitely one I think we got to do at some point. I Okay. It's not for you?
1: It's not that it's not for me. It's an overwhelmingly sad film that breaks me in half every time I watch it. It's a very difficult film for me to watch and get through because of the just the spirit and the... The, the dreamer spirit that's destroyed in that film is is so uh, debilitating, man. But I, I, you're right. Sometimes you have to tackle the hard films like this and get through it. And this is one that's incredible.
0: I, I 100% agree about that movie, by the yeah. way. It is so brutal. Mm-hmm. It is so hard for me. I mean, like, it's one I think I watched it the last time 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And, you know, maybe now that it's been 10 years, I'm getting up the courage. Yeah. I can remember the first time I saw it. Me too. Sitting in my family room and watching, and there's a moment in that movie yep. where I was just completely overwhelmed and wrecked. I wept, wept openly at
1: that mo- at that moment in the movie when that happens. And I don't mean the ending either.
0: No, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 now I'm kind of trying to decide if I want to ask. For me, it's Billy's suicide. Yes. Yeah, it is that when he
1: when that happens in the pool of blood on the floor and yep every and his screaming or Nicholson screaming at what happened and it was of course symbolic of the system that was destroying young men uh, in Vietnam, young men in the world destroying their spirit because it was the beginning of the government taking control, the government telling you how to feel and think and what you were allowed and not allowed to do and destroying the dreamer spirit because it threatened the foundation of this desire for stability in the world.
0: Well, and this is this thing that I think we can say about Milos Forman, yeah. is that he was interested in these people that didn't fit into a certain system. Yes, that completely it, always
1: fought against the system.
0: Yeah, and 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 so we see that, obviously, with Nicholson in Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Um, there's the movie Hair, which yeah. isn't really a great movie, although I, I, at the time I really liked it, of the mm-hmm. musical mm-hmm. Um, that he did. There's, a, there's of course Amadeus, which is a movie about this person who doesn't fit in, yeah. and this other person who is sort of of the system and not of the system. Right. And of course we get to the people versus Larry Flint, which is a movie I like a lot. And yes. that is the same thing. It's this person who doesn't fit into the system, you know, going against the system, you know, that seems to be a thing. Um, Andy Kaufman, same yeah. thing, yeah. Man, man on, on the, the moon. moon. Exactly. I mean, that is a guy who clearly doesn't fit into the system. His yeah. rebellion, you know, and, and we have these figures throughout all these movies who are a little bit unknowable and, mm-hmm. you know, the Andy Kaufman character and man on the moon, that's certainly one of those two.
1: You know, if, if I could venture an analysis of why, why? Because I mean, if you are, uh, if you're being smuggled out of Nazi Germany, you see what a government can do to its people, yeah. to its citizens, and so you maybe you remain constantly suspicious. I mean, there are there are so many stories of people who survived the Holocaust who who never put their money in the bank, always kept it in, sure. because they were afraid of the depression as well, all of that factored in back in the 20s. People did the same thing. So when something traumatic happens, people react in certain ways from youth onwards that repeats them repeats patterns in their lives and behavioral patterns in their lives. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is something he constantly felt an affinity for these rebellious people to, to, go against these systems these just established
0: systems. I think that's a great point. I think that must be right. And the thing that I find interesting about the way he does it is that you don't rebel against the system with another system. Right. Is that you rebel what what he is interested in is chaos. Mm-hmm. Is McMurtry and Andy Kaufman and Amadeus and Larry Flint who are these people who are essentially saying fuck you to the system Mm -hmm. in this completely chaotic and unpredictable and sometimes not likable or understandable way. He likes the chaos Mm -hmm. going out after the rigid system, the nurse ratchets. Absolutely.
1: And it's also to expose the injustice within the system to make people aware of it. He isn't trying to destroy the system so it doesn't exist. He's trying to make the system more fair and balanced and understanding and compassionate rather than just rigid and cold and black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And and in the case of
0: Amadeus, you know, it's a film where it's mm-hmm. it's also dealing with God, yes. you know, you know, the, another system, uh, yeah, and in and essence. and and a you know the essential basic moral construction of the universe, right. which Salieri believes in, yeah. and and has put his faith into this idea of the connection between music and God, yeah. and how that is destroyed for him, mm-hmm. and then how he. Basically, becomes his own rebel
1: against God. Yeah, and it's the, but yet his envy of Amadeus is so fascinating to watch through the movie because he wishes he could be that rebellious. He wishes he had talent that could go against God, but he knows he doesn't. So he has to go against God in more nefarious means, more evil means, more base means than the elevated approach that uh, Amadeus has, even though he is so subject to his carnal desires. Well, you in, see that, yeah, and in, in in in
0: Salieri's worldview. Amadeus is the voice of God is speaking through this ridiculous vulgar creature and so you know in in, in a weird way maybe this is the most complex rebellion that Milos Forman does in his career Mm -hmm. and it's certainly my favorite of his movies. Absolutely me too. And so without further ado let us take you back to the very early days of the cinephiles and our discussion of the great film Amadeus. (laughs) Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a classic film and explore its ideas, the filmmaking, the performances, and how it's influenced filmmakers today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing teacher in Los Angeles.
1: Hi, I'm John Roca. I'm an actor and voiceover artist here in Los Angeles. And today we are doing what I would say is a big film, at least for me. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited to talk about this
0: one. Yeah, this is uh, 1984 uh, wins the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1985. Mm-hmm. It's Amadeus, director Miloš Forman, yeah. with F. Murray Abraham, Tom Hulse, and a bunch of other great actors. Yeah, Elizabeth
1: Barrage, a number of a number of other actors yeah. in the so, so tell me, John, how did you first come to this film? Well, uh, at a very young age, I think I saw it. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing it in the theaters. Uh, this was right when I was starting to become a bit of a cinephile, because I kind of discovered that I was really enjoying films at a young age. And then when this came out, I was, I think it was 14, and I... Just went. My dad and I went to see it because it was at that time where my dad would want to go see films with me, or I would take him to come see films with me, and we just loved it. Um, and was so engrossing. I mean, you could argue that it's an epic because it's pretty long. You could, argue, you know, in terms of its, in terms of the uh, the amount of the length of the movie, rather, and and so, but the scope of the movie itself, you know, as far as biopics go, it's one of my favorite biopics ever made um, and as a kid at 14 what do I know about classical music so walking into this film I got exposed to Amadeus and his, his music Mozart and his music and you don't know if you're going to like it or not but the fact that I fell in love with it so much and it was my father's favorite film till the day he died he quoted this film all the time to me he loved it he would sit and watch it randomly if it came on television it was such a perfect perfect film. Really? This is his favorite film? Uh Yeah. What What about it do you think he likes so much? My dad from a small town in Cochabamba in Bolivia, right? What does he know about classical music and a composer from the, what, 1700s or whatever... But for whatever reason, he loved the humor within the film, even though we were dealing with people of a higher society. My dad loved the jokes within the film, the personality of Amadeus, the struggle between Salieri and Amadeus throughout the whole film. Salieri's—he uh, uh, loved the older version of Salieri and the jokes that he would make, and he would talk about the—you know—in in, his—he already had it in his noodle that he was going to sleep with. Katerina, or I think that's her name, or Catherine, and so my dad loved the little jokes that were in the little play on words and things of that nature. Like when he's going on mediocrities, I forgive you, mediocrities everywhere. Yeah. My dad would Joe, he would do that as I as like when, even when he was had his cancer and we'd had to ro- m- m- uh, roll him around sometimes in the chair, he would m- he joke would about. People. Yeah, he would bless people like fake people that weren't in the room, you know, and he would go mediocrities everywhere. I forgive you, or I I am your champion and stuff like that. So, and he loved the Amadeus portrayal. The Thomas Holtz did The Laughing, and he just found that such an engrossing film. And I think, you know, for lack of a better term, my dad may have grown up on a farm in a small town in Bolivia, but, he, you know, I think you're just born with these ideas that you enjoy certain things. And he passed that on to me, I think, uh, genetics-wise, a love of film, whether he wants to admit it or whether he ever wanted to admit it or not. I think he passed it on to me. Well,
0: Well, I think, and that really points to something about this film, which is, when you if you heard the pitch mm-hmm. and someone came along and said we want to do a movie about two composers <laughs> in the 18th century right. and one of them is thinks the other one is better and one of them is rude to the first one you would say well nobody who wants to see that movie right. nobody's interested in classical music no. and yet there's something universal about this story that obviously affected your dad yeah. and, and and it tells us that we're talking about something deeper mm-hmm. here um <clears throat> for me uh uh, it came out when I was 16, mm-hmm. and it, I was just thinking that it's strange to think about it. But there was a time when there were no comic book movies. Yeah, because today the big movies that everybody goes to see are the Avengers, right, and Star Wars, mm-hmm. and these are this is the this is the films we all come together for. Yeah. Those movies didn't exist in 1984. Right. You know? Well, in,
1: there was Star Wars, but there wasn't sure, there was the superhero Wars. Yeah. Sure, there was Star Wars, but they were still the vast yes. minority
0: mm-hmm. of films. Yeah. And the movies, other than those that we really came together for, we actually came together to see yeah. great films. Yeah. And I remember very clearly seeing this in the movie theater and being affected in a way that I didn't really understand at the time. Mm-hmm. I think I was just coming into dealing with these sort of broader issues. Uh, and when I went to college and I was a theater student, I did, uh, uh, I read the play. So um, Amadeus is based on a play by Peter Schaffer. Yeah. And I believe it is Schaffer. Um, it's, it, I've heard it said both ways so many times. i heard it said <laughs> so it's two, it's Schaffer or Schaffer. The two Fs, so it can go either way. Right. So I believe it is Schaffer, but I'm not 100%. So maybe maybe you can come online and you could phonetically spell it for us sure. if, if you're sure of it. Um, but uh, a great play uh, called Amadeus. Schaffer mm-hmm. also wrote Equus, which is oh yeah one of the great mess-you-up plays you could possibly imagine. Horribly unsettling. And so in theater school, I knew the movie before I knew the play. Mm-hmm. And then I read the play. The play's actually quite different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the play has a chorus. It has a, It's very theatrical Yes, um, in the way it's presented. And some of the, arguably, the greatest moments in the film are not in the play. No. And there's some really interesting, more presentational things in the play that are not in the movie. And then one of the first plays I directed that wasn't my own mm-hmm. was Peter Schaffer's uh, Private Ear, which okay. is a great, great play. And that play also focuses on music in this very intimate way. And you see Schaffer's love of music in that play. And that led me back to Amadeus. Yeah. So I went full circle. So I started with the film, went into the play, and then later on went back to the film again. Wow. Um, and, and it continues to, and it was interesting. I hadn't seen it in four or five years, probably oh, okay. before watching it a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how different it is as a guy now in my mid forties yeah. to watch that movie mm-hmm. and to feel. Because when I was young, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to be Mozart." All right. And now I'm like, <laughs> I wish I hope to be Salieri. Yeah. Like you know, and
1: and it's a very very different experience. Well, I think what you talk about the pitch and you talk about the way into the movie and the way into the movie is the relationship it's almost irrelevant they their composers like most great movies it's almost irrelevant what the occupation is it's more about the human interaction and how universal that is and I think that my father felt that way I think that's why he loved the film so much and I do too my dad felt that he didn't get quite achieve what he wanted to achieve because he was held back held back by outside forces and so he felt a kinship with Salieri wanting to be Mozart wanting to achieve this but being unable to feeling that they were outside forces or God stopping. And my dad was a super religious man, but he just felt that there were certain things that in the way. And I think there. I think as we get older and we don't achieve fully those dreams that we thought we could achieve when we were younger, we start to look at like, well, am I cursed? Am I, like, what is? what do I have to accomplish? Or what, well, how come I could, why did you give me the desire to, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. He well, you gave me the desire to praise you and then made me mute. That's such a brilliant line by F. Murray Abraham in the movie. And I think that speaks to a lot of these things that an actor or an artist goes through is like how could you make me be aware of something that I wanted to be but then not give me the tools to get there the desire the drive the breaks the hunger what have you and I think that's what's so what speaks universally to a lot of people f- f- uh, in the film. Yeah, it's it's that and there's that
0: constant tension between the idealized thing, which really mm. <clears throat> that which is idealized. Sorry, I'm losing my voice a little bit. Yeah, I hear it. It's not. It's not sexy anymore. Maybe it'll be. Get, it'll get to a sexy <laughs> place, but I don't think that works as well for a guy as it does for a woman. Like sure, people. Yeah. All right. Maybe that we're a little off track. That's all right. It's not like this film is a highfalutin film. You know, it's a very body film. So it please, is, it yeah. Well, it manages to be both. Yes. That's like what's interesting. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I'll put aside the thing I was about to say. Sure. And we will get back to it later. The very opening scene, you have the two servants, and one of them is Vincent, what's his name? Schiavelli. Schiavelli. Yes. who is a, one of the great character actors whose face is so familiar. Yes. And here you know oh, I'm going to see a film about classical music and very big ideas. And there is a very broadly comic and almost not slapstick, but yeah. but 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 very comedic scene mm-hmm. juxtaposed immediately with Salieri's attempted suicide.
1: Yes, that is an amazing way to open a film. And the score, the yeah. violins hitting. <laughs> It's just perfect to underscore what's happening and, and uh, accentuate that moment and how powerful that moment is. Yeah. And hit him falling backwards with the blood dripping from his wrists, like as a way of like, almost handing himself to whoever is coming for him. Like it's so powerful that image.
0: Yeah, and it, and what's interesting throughout the film is this strange mix of both very broad comedy and yeah. very heavy drama, mm-hmm. and then also very kind of entrenched within realism filmmaking yeah. and complete theatricality. Yes. Uh, it brings in those elements of the play. For instance, we get to Salieri's... And so, so back up a little bit sure. for those of you who haven't seen it. Obviously, we recommend that you see the film. <laughs> yes, please. But this is the story. Salieri is of the great composers of his day in terms of public perception. Yeah, And then he meets Mozart, who he can see as a genius who is far beyond him. Yeah, And yet... Uh, and yet is not successful, and yet right. Salieri is enraged with him for reasons we'll get into yeah. in great detail and becomes obsessed with destroying him. Right, um, and, and that is sort of the relationship. And the whole story is told by a very elderly Salieri mm-hmm. in an insane asylum to a priest. A priest, yeah. Um, and so when we come to him talking to the priest, which, by the way, we don't talk a lot. This guy has like... 10 lines. Yeah. You know, and mostly he just sits and reacts to what Salieri's telling. Not an easy gig. Nope. And he and it's quite brilliant yeah. everything that he gives them. But Salieri's telling the story at the very beginning, and as he tells it, he begins to hear the music that he's describing. And he begins to conduct it and react to it. Mm-hmm. And in this weird way, it's not breaking the fourth wall, but is breaking the reality of film convention in this way. Yeah. Is that, we are, is that the reality of the world that we're in is that we hear music the way Salieri does. Yeah. And that we move back in time into flashback through the music. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating to watch. On the page, it looked nothing. The beginning simple, almost comic. Just a pulse. Bassoons, basset horns. Like a rusty squeeze box. (laughs) And then, suddenly,
2: high above it,
1: an oboe. A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until. A clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight.
0: This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I'd never heard. Filled with such longing... Such unfulfillable longing. It seemed to me that I was hearing a voice of God. Excuse me.
2: But why? Why would God choose an obscene child to be his instrument?
1: Mozart's music, there was so much music that he did, because obviously he was a child prodigy. You know, he did. Sorry, my turn. <clears throat> he did so many compositions. I thought it was brilliant by Milos Forman, by uh, Sir Neville Mariner, who is the uh, composer for the film, uh, to find the right pieces to underscore the moments, to underscore your entry into scenes or into the appreciation of his music. When he sees the his landlady, who is uh, Constance's mother, yelling at him, the scene when he's she's yelling at him and he sees this aria of this woman in the clouds singing like how? but that's the genius of a mind at work and that's the perfect juxtaposition of a song to use at that time a composition i don't even can call it a song of composition at that time to use in comparison and you're like taking an everyday mundane thing and turning it into this beautiful on thing on stage. And cause he could see it that way for all this childishness, all his uh, stuff and immaturity, all his things. He had this gift within him that he knew how to access. Uh, and it's almost like goodwill hunting he, in the scene. Matt Damon says, when you look at a piano, I look at a piano, I see black and white keys and some uh, strings. But when, I look at math, I could just always see it. And that's kind of what you see with, with uh, Mozart. He could look at a piano and he knew. He just in, in, instinctively knew what to do with it. And you see that in the pieces that they use in the film.
0: Well, that, That's exactly right. And, and it's interesting because it gets you into what a lot of the ideas of the film are, which is in general... Artistic talent is treated as a gift. Yes. As it is the muse descends. Mm -hmm. It is inspiration. And inspiration, you know, inspire and spirituals comes from the spirit of God entering the body. And that is how... how the music is treated, how Mozart's music is treated, yeah. and that what's the con- part of the conflict with Salieri is that the muse, the spirit of God, God's music has chosen to descend into this vessel which he sees as corrupt
1: mm-hmm. and disgusting, and and beneath the gift that he is given. Yeah, and never mind that he is just as corrupt. And dirty as Mozart in a different way. Yeah. Which I love, as how you, would see you So movie. tell
0: me how Salieri yeah. is corrupt. I agree well, with you, but. A,
1: he's he's manipulating to try to sleep with Catherine. He tries to seduce Mozart's wife. Well, so, hold, hold on. Okay. How was he corrupt before Mozart shows up? Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. I, I guess he's not corrupt before Mozart shows up. But the Catherine relationship has been building before Mozart shows up. So he's been laying the groundwork with her before Mozart shows up. And in real life, he actually sleeps with her in real The real Sayeri right. did sleep with Catherine and she did not sleep with Mozart. But like, she, he, he, you see that he's been laying that groundwork with her. You see that he has this kind of Pomp and circumstance about being a composer in amongst these people, but you're right. We do we don't see that he's dirty before Mozart shows up.
0: Well, it's a quite, what's interesting about it to me mm. is is because it's part of this is there's salieri's construction of what reality is. Yes, and, and which may or may not be reality. And of course, whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you know you as what you bring to it as a viewer affects this. Yeah. But he establishes very clearly what his reality is at the beginning because he tells the story of he hears music yeah. and he goes realizes that it's beautiful and he makes a deal with God. Yeah. And he says, "God, if I agree to be celibate and devote my life to you, will you give me the gift of music? Will right. you let me serve you with music?" Right. And what happens next in the film is a miracle according to Salieri yes. occurs and his father dies, chokes to death in front of him. Right. And he goes, "How and what he says to the priest, what other way is there to interpret this other than that God gave, has given me my wish. He's agreed to my deal. Right now, what that does is it frames reality for Salieri that the universe basically revolves around him, Mm -hmm. that his father's death and all these other events are are conspiring because God has decided that he will serve him with music. And so Based on the film, not the reality of right, the real right, Salieri, right. I believe that he has been celibate, mm-hmm. that he has actually been trying to come up with this deal. You do,
1: I think. Interesting. I, that's my perception. I do not. You do not. No, because anybody who frames the death of his father as, as a, from choking, as some kind of gift from God, has a seriously misplaced. Uh, point of view about no a relationship question. between no father and, about son. That. and and once again, going a little bit coming back to my dad. This is one of my favorite scenes. So this one, These little there's these little comedic moments throughout the whole film right. that my dad absolutely loved. The idea of the father choking, uh, I, you know, that whole thing is just brilliant. And you know what happened? A miracle. And it's just yep. the idea that your father choking, who had been when we didn't mention this, who had been making fun of his musical aspirations, according to Salieri, is now removed as an obstacle. And, but the man is already, he's in essence, not, he's a sociopath in essence, because nothing matters, but him, nothing matters, but what he wants. And the fact that there is someone who so easily can have what he has worked so hard to have drives him insane. Well, and because he perceives everything is everything that happens
0: is created by God. Yes. All events that right. occur are created by God. Mm-hmm. Mozart has this gift. Therefore, God has done this to mock me. That because yes. the only reason that God is doing anything yes. is because of the Salieri. Yeah. And so God is doing this to mock me. It is it is solipsistic in its approach to reality. All the universe exists to service me. <laughs> um which
1: he's the Kanye West of his era.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh except Kanye would say he's the Mozart. He's the Mozart. He's absolutely the Mozart. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um I don't. I can't speak to whether but he is I the Mozart. I okay. can tell you he's the Mozart. Um, <laughs> yes, actually, in many ways he might be. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if he poisons himself with mercury or not. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so, so, so we get into this weird conception of reality, mm-hmm. and that is the reality through which we see the film. Is is because we don't. We're not seeing reality. Nope. We're seeing Salieri's version of reality. Exactly. Um, and which is interesting because you said something at the very beginning, which is this is a biopic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a biopic. Oh wow! I think it transcends a little. It's certainly we. I mean, I mean, oh, it's not that accurate, but lots of mm-hmm. biopics aren't mm-hmm. necessarily that accurate. When you do a biopic, you have to, yeah, you know, dramatize. And Cinderella Man close. wasn't. Yeah, Beautiful Mind isn't. Yeah, we're yeah. good. Yeah, and so so that's not why, but it is so theatrical. Mm-hmm. It is, it, and it's it kind of to me. I would say it maybe transcends a biopic. Ooh, you know what I mean? That's like, fair. Like, it's almost a biopic, not that this is a biopic, Mm -hmm. but in the way that Citizen Kane is a biopic Mm -hmm. of Hearst, which is that we're using these two people, these two characters that are real historical characters, to explore ideas that are bigger than those characters. Mm -hmm. Like, if you watch, you know, um, Ray, or you watch Mm -hmm. uh, Patton, we're going, let's explore that guy. This guy's fascinating. His life is fascinating. Character is fascinating. Let's explore them. When you're doing Amadeus, I feel like you're doing that but you're also doing something
1: else. You're using them to get to this other place. That's fair, except that I think there are a lot of scenes that Salieri could not have been in the room for that we see as an audience. Yeah. And I think that's what makes totally it true. a biopic, yeah. because it's not, It is. not. it feels like it's 100% through Salieri's point of view, but we also see other scenes that he couldn't have possibly been there for that humanize Mozart, that make you... Believe Mozart is, you know, has his own demons that he's struggling with to put together to figure out that the gift comes, the gift comes with this other side that is painful and difficult to deal with. He cannot handle human emotion, human relationships. He is uh, a slave to his father's memory, and his father, while living and dead, is a slave to it. And so there is more to, there's a price to pay for the gift he has that Salieri does not have to pay because Salieri. Yet is somewhat Can somewhat function And somewhat normal Has moved up in society Mozart is not capable Because he is An impertinent child Struggling with this desire For affection And respect And admiration But he does not want to fit He does not want to be put In a cage Or a perceived cage By anyone Do you like Mozart? I love his Tom Holtz's portrayal Of Mozart Absolutely As a character in the film Yes would I have dealt with Mozart uh, well in real life? Difficult to say. Very he, difficult to say. So so
0: and this is what's hard to separate out, is that there's Tom Holtz's performance, yes. which is great. It's stellar. The only thing better than it is F. Murray Abraham's performance. Absolutely. Um if you know, and they, by the way, they were both up for Academy Award. Uh, for best actor right. and F1, I'm going to refer to him as F is what well you should. Um, so F1 for fantastic and, yes. and, cor- and correctly. So yes, I agree because his performance is unbelievable. We'll get to it mm-hmm. more in a moment. Mm-hmm. So, so first there's a performance, which I really admire. Yeah. Then there is the, it, the joy of watching him in a movie, which I'm mixed on. And I don't mean that in a negative okay. way. I mean that watching him is hard. Okay. There are times where he's really fun. Yeah. Oh, here's that funny guy again. Right. And there are times where it's like, Oh, shut up. Oh, oh yes, because he's shooting himself in
1: the foot. It yes. hurts.
0: And he's and he's being so horrible yeah. to other people yes. around him. And so cruel
1: and, and so uh uh, naively cruel. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He's not intentionally cruel. No, he doesn't have a self edit button. Well, he is at There are moments where he's intentionally cruel, but it's not his overall mode of operation. Right. Lots yes. of times he just says stuff. Yes, because that's what he says. And then, and then
0: there's the thing that you said: is would I like him as a person? And the answer is, probably be fun to party with once or
1: twice. Yes. And then it'd be like this guy's an asshole. Right. Let's get away from him because he would stay at your house all weekend, eat, eat all yeah. your food, drink all your wine, and say I'm so sorry. Then take off with some girl that he'd met the night before. And leave you,
0: and, and probably uh, not be so nice to some of the women at my yes, party agreed. I think he would be disrespectful and mm-hmm. and embarrassing. And
1: mm-hmm. you're like, let's get the, someone get this guy out of here. I think you grab the piano. All the women would love him as he played and talk. And what you see the scenes in the film where he's yeah. like running off and drinking and having a great time with all these women. And I think you're right. Later on, as he drank more and more, he'd say some inappropriate things, offensive things, hurt their feelings, treat yep. them like dog shit.
0: Yeah. And yet and yet. Because he's so talented, mm-hmm. people will keep coming back to him, which I've, yes. I'm sure you've seen in your life. I've certainly seen in my life. I can. There are, I don't there, want to say any names, but yeah, yes. <laughs> that, that there are people who just have this thing about them. It's true. And, and I think the reason I, I, I bring this up is because I feel that that portrayal puts us with Salieri on some level. Yes. Is that we, although we certainly don't want to kill him. Right. But we still feel like, oh, this guy. Mm-hmm. And then the music. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see, because there is this contrast between this vulgarian mm-hmm. and the music, and it is it is the the reverence for music within this film, the way music is used yeah. within this film, the way it is talked about, the way it is presented, is so profound that the, I mean, this movie is where I discovered classical music. Mm-hmm. It is it is just the, it, ha, it this topic that I wasn't interested in, and yeah. this is what great films can do.
1: Could present to me in a way, and I go, oh, wow. Yeah. There's so much there. Well, there's a scene where Salieri comes in. For the first time, he's seen Mozart. Like, you know, he has the opening of Mozart, the opening scene of the character, that we meet the character of Mozart. He is running around playing a game with Constance and under the tables and sneaking off chocolate. Like, he's being a child at this huge event for the pope. It's not the Pope, but... Oh, the Cardinal. I'm sorry, the Cardinal. Sorry, sorry, the Cardinal. Um, And uh, when Salieri discovers that it's Mozart, when the music is played, when he stands up, that's what I love, that opening scene, because he does that whole thing as a child, and then when he hears his music being played without him, he stands, and his hand, when he silences Constance, he embraces... Like, that's that moment you understand the juxtaposition of this man. He wants to play until he... Until, but he takes his music very seriously. Yep. And so when he walks out, um, uh, the slow pan close up to F. Murray Abraham, when he discovers that that is Mozart and then walks out. And when he talks about the composition, mm-hmm. when he's looking at it, he's almost crying. Right. Yep. Displace one note and there would be diminishment. You know, everything is so Perfectly put, and that he is the only one Who's with the ability it. to see it.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's remarkable. Uh, so, a couple things about that. One is we talked before about character introductions. Yeah, is that is that if you got a big character, their first moment on screen is important, and one of the ways you can add importance to it and wait is by withholding the introduction. And this is a perfect example of it, Mm -hmm. where we have Salieri coming to find Mozart. Mm -hmm. Who is this Mozart? Who is this Mozart? And our introduction to him is on the floor scrambling around with a girl girl being childish. That's a remarkable way to introduce this character. And then you have, just as you say, you're absolutely right, when he stands up this transition. And it relates to this line later in the film where he's trying to convince the emperor to let him make Don Giovanni. Mm -hmm. And he says... As he's trying to convince them, they're saying, well, you should do the classics. And he says, I'd rather watch someone shit marble or something. <laughs> yeah. Some comment like that. He says it, yeah. And and, and they go, oh, my God. Yeah. You forget yourself, sir. Yeah. Because he's being vulgar in front mm-hmm. of the emperor. And he says, forgive me. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music isn't. Yes.
2: Oh, bello, bello, bello. Come on now. Be honest. Which one of you wouldn't rather listen to his hairdresser than Hercules? Or Horatius, or Orpheus, people so lofty they sound as if they shit marble. What? <laughs> Govern your
1: tongue, Mozart, how dare you? Forgive me, Majesty. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not.
0: And that is the contrast. That is that is the complexity of this character mm-hmm. is that within the vessel of this vulgar person exists, as
1: constructed by the film, yeah. the voice of God. Well, it's a self-realization and what that must be like. And you made a reference to Charles Foster Kane. This is a great thing to make a reference to, Steve. It's connection and also to Orson Welles, this idea of the prodigy yeah. as a child. Yep. You know, the idea of the prodigy as a child. How do they function in a normal world? Their ability to deconstruct boundaries, to not want to fit within parameters is overwhelming. Than a normal person's desire to do it because their talent is so overwhelming. They know that they are so far above anyone else around them about what they do that they feel that they have they can push the boundaries even farther. And you see that, and you're right. That's what he says. And and that guy laughs in spite of himself when he says, you know, fat ladies screeching, people walking around as if they shit marble. You know, it's there's something there. He's speaking truth, but he's speaking truth in a way that's so uncouth and not respectful that he gets caught out for it and has to constantly be in a state of deficit with just about every person of power that he encounters throughout the whole film. And he doesn't know
0: how to be anything other than what he is. Yes. and so, Which brings us to Salieri. Because he, he won't be anything other than what right. he is. He won't listen. Yeah. He can't. No, I don't think he's capable of it. I agree with you. Yeah. and Which is the opposite with Salieri. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the fascinating things I found watching it um, in the last few nights, because I watched it over two nights, oh. is... Uh, F's ability to play five layers at once Mm -hmm. is that he is putting forth a front, which is not the truth, and then he is uh, presenting layers within that front, and then you see his actual reaction to happen, Mm -hmm. what's happening, and then you see this internal struggle, and you see all of that simultaneously, (laughs) and that he is constantly presenting something for public consumption. He is, so, so you have Mozart on the one hand, who can't be anything other than what he is, mm-hmm. and, and, and Salieri, who's whatever he is, is buried so deeply mm-hmm. and within such a strict construct of reality that he's presenting that we don't even know what it is. Yeah. That there is no tr- we don't know. Maybe there's
1: nothing in there. Right. Which, which is what he's afraid of. Yeah. That there is nothing here, that he is a fraud, which most artists or people of fame or celebrity feel that they're frauds, that they'd be found out as a fraud. Uh, And this is a... Even Daniel Day-Lewis said this in an interview one time. He's like, I'm always afraid I'm going to be found out. It's the classic actor thing that you're always going to be found out that you're a fraud. And I'm sure Salieri felt that way to a degree in the movie, or it seems he feels that way in the movie because Mozart exposes him. Mozart lays him naked for the world to see him as a fraud. No one else sees it, but Salieri sees it. And that's why it drives him so deeply to try... He has this amazing uh, love-hate relationship with Mozart throughout the movie because he tries to undercut him at every moment. Yet somehow when he tries to undercut him, he advances him and Mozart feels nothing but love and respect for him and gratitude for him even though he, even though Salieri is in trying to destroy him.
0: You're saying Mozart feels nothing but love and respect for Salieri? Throughout the whole film, I don't think so.
1: in gratitude, because he's always thanking him for... But even oh, but though I Salieri don't think Mozart to, thinks that. Okay. Yeah, I think Mozart thinks Salieri's a bit of a buffoon. There's a moment where he has that scene, right, where he says that to him, I think around the piano when he says that to well, him. Well,
0: there's, there's him imitating Salieri, at the uh, at the thing where he that's what i meant yeah he definitely mocks him at the party yeah and and when he plays salieri's march <laughs> this is one of the great scenes it's such it's good a great scene. scene on so so to, to set this up yeah. mozart is coming to the court of the emperor the salieri is the court composer yeah. he decides in honor of this great musician he's going to compose a march he composes a march hands it off to the emperor played brilliantly by jeffrey
1: jones 150 pounds lighter Jeffrey yeah. Jones. do yeah. <laughs> you see him now? He, he, he's almost unrecognizable. Yeah. yeah. And his performance is so odd and peculiar yeah. Yeah. and
0: funny. Perfect. And perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, and Jeffrey Jones is struggling to learn how to play piano. He says, oh, let me see. This sounds good. Can I play it? Yeah. And, and again, this is where you see Cel- F. Murray Abraham's unbelievable acting chops where he, he goes graciously, <laughs> says, yes, of course, Emperor, you should play it. And you see internally... I really don't want you to play it. Yeah. And you see him trying to be nice in the, yes, no, that not that note, this note, no, yes. a little softer, softer. Tempo. Tempo. <laughs> yes. and, and you feel Mozart coming, and you see F. You see all of these things playing out. Uh-huh. I want to impress this guy. I need to keep the emperor happy. Right. I, he's butchering my music, and I have to make everything okay. Right. And you see that all internally. In walks Mozart. Here's the music. And then they offer him the sheet after a long conversation. They say, here, take the sheet and music My I gift to you. He's like, no, no, it's all in my head. Which is, first of all, insulting right there. It really, but without knowing, he he's just being insulting. insulting right, right. And they say, we don't believe you. You only heard it once. And he heard it played by the emperor, which is terrible. And he goes, no, no, I got it. Sits down and starts playing it. Plays it perfectly. Then goes, it's not quite right, is it?
1: That <laughs> doesn't really work, does it? Did you try... Shouldn't it be a bit more or this? This. Yes. Better. What do you think? The adjustment of it is 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 the is the insult moment that if he was a little more worldly, he would not do. Right? No. He, would take it, it. he would take it home and compose it himself and maybe perform it someplace or throw it into some kind of composition down the road in some other symphony if he wanted to. Because all you're supposed to say is, thank you, this is lovely. Absolutely, I appreciate it. It's very kind it's of very you kind, to compose something for me. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. Um, and then what's interesting, which they talk about, is they tried very hard because it goes from being um, uh, an actual Salieri march yeah. into coming to be somewhat like Figaro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's, that's some good, so uh, Neville, uh, uh, Mariner, Neville Mariner, yep. Sir Neville Mariner is the, and his agreement, by the way, when he's the uh, composer and the music supervisor, yeah. which is a big gig on this thing, and his agreement was, I will do it if you agree not to change a single note of Mozart. That's awesome. Not not an easy task. Mm-hmm. And they had to come up with a way to transition from Salieri's march into something recognizable as Figaro. And I think this is a conspiracy against the audience because the Figaro stuff we're familiar with. Yes. And so as soon as it becomes more like that, we go, "Oh. Yeah. That is better." Yes. You know, and it's a way to to make us be where Salieri is, which is to be hurt mm-hmm. that Mozart is doing this really rude thing and yet still recognize that's
1: better. Well, this is what's interesting about the film. Sometimes we are Salieri We are. And then other times we're the priest. Mm -hmm. And we're both, we're operating in both levels at certain moments. And that, that what you've just brought up is a perfect example of that because in that moment, we are the priest when, when, uh, near the beginning of their relationship, their conversation, Salieri starts playing composition, his compositions. And the priest doesn't recognize any of them. But he plays the Mozart one and he just gets lost in it. Oh, that's delightful. And you see, once again, this is a great point you make, Steve, how Sarieti is, uh, playing four, F Avon was playing four different levels. Yeah. He's letting the priest run away with the song, patiently, yep. angrily, jealously and listening resigned to it. And resigned to it, yes, yeah. yes. And then when he's done, he's like, I didn't write that. Yeah. That was him. And, and, that, and that was the creature. And so it was perfect in that moment because we are the audience, when we hear that, go, oh yeah, I bet we couldn't help but go with it because Mozart wrote that kind of music that we instinctively feel as a human being that we love and and then he turns it around on us by saying no It wasn't me. It was him and automatically just like that. We're dialed into the movie because and this is the
0: weird irony Salieri doesn't even have the benefit of deluding himself. No, he knows Mozart's music's better. Yes Mozart's movie. In fact The fact that he's the only one recognizing the music the greatness of the music throughout most of the movie also makes him sad. Yeah. As much as that's what he wants. He wants to destroy Mozart. He wants his music to be the celebrated music, but it's also very lonely to know that I know this is great and no one else does. So then 30 years later, when he's talking to the priest, the fact that the priest recognizes the Mozart is actually correct. Yes. You should remember his music and not my music. Right. Even though it still hurts him. Even though it still hurts
1: him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what's interesting too is that throughout the film... Salieri isn't angry at Mozart. He is angry. No, he's angry at God. At God. Right. He even says, laugh, Signore, at one moment. Yeah. That this is, because of course, this is God's joke on Salieri. Right. That's why he created Mozart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that, and what's fascinating to watch, there are these moments, there's two or three of them, where you see Salieri's truth in his love of Mozart's music. Mm-hmm. What did you think of my opera? I thought it was marvelous. And in this, and you see the the process of the character deciding, I'm actually going to say it. I'm going to say what right. I really, really think. Right. And Mozart goes, "Well, of course it is. It's the finest opera yet written." And you see the anger, like
1: I just exposed myself to you, and you just kind of slap my face. Well, this is a great point, Steve, you make because this goes back to your point you're making earlier about the fact that Salieri is playing at so many different levels. Subjugating who he is hiding who he is shoving it down because he has to because he has to stay in society proper yep. society This is what he wanted his whole life to have a status to have a title yeah. and in that moment when he says I thought it was marvelous. Or, I thought it was beautiful. Whatever he says in that moment That's salieri bubbling up to the surface the real guy. revealing himself And his inability to not tell the truth about the love he feels for mozart's music and even though he's he could be angry, he could be frustrated by it. He tells the truth, and right when Mozart makes that reaction, it shoves him all the way back down. Right, and if in that moment I think Mozart could turn and have the character to say,
0: right, thank you, right, that means really, you know, then, then the movie's over. The movie is over you because there is mean? no
1: motivation to kill him at that yeah. point. Yeah. That, that
0: it is, it is that is that Mozart is such an idiot yeah. that he cannot see these things that are happening. Yeah, um, and I think you bring up another point which is so good, which is that. It's not that Mozart doesn't want popular acclaim and money. Right. He wants those things. Yes. But he can't be anything other than what he is. Mm-hmm. Whereas Salieri has, and this, this is why I think this movie in a lot of ways is about the struggle of the artist mm-hmm. in many, many different ways. Yeah. Because you have the person who has been the public pleaser. I'm not, I'm, my goal was to compose for God. Yeah. But in fact, I'm composing for the system. And I'm doing what is necessary. I'm being a tutor. I'm being all of these things. I'm being proper and behaving in all of these ways in order to be able to have this status. Right. Um, And then you have this other person who is the artist who can only be what they are. Mm -hmm. And you see him constantly struggling and constantly failing to convince people who know way less
1: than him to give him the chance to do his art. Yeah. And that is certainly something that's true today. For, for me, it's analogous a lot to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. McCartney being Salieri. Not that he was jealous of John, but they, I'm sure they had their professional jealousies. But John was always the one that was the prankster. He was always the one that flitted his face at authority or, you know, Threw his cigarette in the face of authority. He's the one that said, rattle your jewelry to the rich people when they were playing the Royal Albert Hall. He's the one that went on the peace march and got the attention and you know went nuts against the authorities and marched and did the songs and all this kind of just did the bed ends in in Canada. He was all the and Paul McCartney did none of that. He was he's he a good little boy. He you know, he did his music, it was good, people loved it, people enjoyed it. But John is the one that people revere, people think is the true artist. Whether it's right or wrong, it is the perception that you see and i think that is there that is a microcosm to of to what you see with sadieri and mozart i don't think paul obviously paul did not want to kill john and when john died paul was very broken up about it and he's saying about it, he's talked about it on numerous occasions but there was a frustration on paul's side that john was the one that was seen as the true artist and paul was the one who made ditties or popular music so the the,
0: the, the that frustration i think that's probably where the analogy works there are other places where I would stay away. That would not be my analogy. Because because if we just, this is like a rabbit hole. You and I both love the Beatles. (laughs) It's true. We spend a lot of time going into, uh, but Paul wrote yesterday, man. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. It's, I think. But John has 20 of those.
1: And that's no, the Paul thing. has more hits. Well, no, but I mean, twenty of those kinds of deeper compositions. Paul has more hits. Yeah, but you're not going to give me uh, uh, was a, Let a, it be? another love song. No, yeah. I'm talking about solo stuff. You're not going to give me another love song versus instant right, karma, if, or you're but, not going to give me versus... Or versus uh, absolutely, John's more political, but if you look at the songs so deep, they wrote in the Beatles... Yeah, that's a whole other ballgame, because yeah. they're influenced by each other.
0: Well, yeah, and, and that's why it's like, because part of the construct of Salieri is that Salieri's just not that good. That's why. That's why I go like. Well, that's Paul, Paul, right? Paul, right. Your yeah, Paul's good. That's fair. Paul's Paul's a absolutely really good. he is. Absolutely, yeah. I love yeah. Paul
1: McCartney. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just mean in that in that difference in how they're perceived in the perception. Yeah, yeah, you're one hundred percent right.
0: Yeah. The, um, it, it, what what's so interesting is that we live in a world today still, where artists on whatever level have to beg. To get their work done. Yes. That the art the, that the people who are have the talent and the ability and the skills to create the art mm. are not the people who are the gatekeepers usually. Right. The vast majority of the time. And so what happens is is that artists have to go to the people with the money. Yes. And say, will you let me do my thing? And frequently, the people that play the game better, the Salieri's, are more successful. Yeah. Than at doing that, and they will repeatedly come up with you know, adequate stuff. Yeah. And then you'll have these strange artists who do this amazing thing on the sideline, but they don't play well in the system.
1: Right. You know, like Wells always, always yeah. self sabotaging his yep. situation, just like Mozart does. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and, 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 and watching that. And it's interesting too, like the idea of, of, of knowing what the real art is,
1: but not being able to produce it. Yeah. Knowing enough to see it, <sighs> but not produce it. That's one of the, As I've gotten older, that's one of the most frustrating things that I've had to come to terms with as an actor that you hit that moment where you're like, you know what? I'll never be Daniel Day-Lewis. I'll never be De Niro. I'll never be Pacino. These are my idols. These are the people I revere as actors. I'll never be Anthony Quinn even, but I would love to be, but you have to, you have to come to terms with it at some point in your life. You're like, "Eh, you know, I'm not going to be. And that's the hardest truth to accept. It's the hardest truth to accept, but then you can let it go and recognize and appreciate what they're able to do rather than being envious and not being says, I know actors who won't watch other great actors and things because it frustrates them to pieces that they're not there. And I am happy. That's no longer the case for me. There's,
0: there's sort of two issues is one, one issue is, Oh, I'm not that. I don't have that talent. I don't have that ability. Right. The other issue is, I think I do have that ability. Why isn't anyone giving me the chance right. to be Al Pacino? Right. Um, and and I think more people suffer from the latter. Yeah. Because they haven't been tested, and right. it's always really easy to know that you're awesome before you have to actually put it on the line. Exactly. You know, once you have to put it on the line, you you get to discover like, oh, this is really hard, and, and uh, yeah, and, and maybe I didn't deliver
1: right, and all your issues and your psychosis and your demons come yeah. in, yeah,
0: yeah. But the former certainly happens too, and I, I like I, there's sometimes I go to a play or see a movie. Mm-hmm. <coughs> And I go, and I'm really inspired. I'm pumped up. I'm like, I'm so excited to go to work. And there's sometimes I go to see stuff and I get so depressed because I go, I can't do that. (laughs) How the fuck do you do that? I can't do that. (laughs) And I just, and and two things I think that have helped me get through it is one is, I'm not supposed to be Al Pacino. Right. I'm supposed to be Steve. Right. That's who I'm supposed to be. I was not put on this earth to be anybody else's artist. Right. And nobody else was. If you were going to be a great artist, the only way to be a great artist is as yourself. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one thing. And the, and the second thing is the knowledge that all those people that I think are awesome who made that amazing thing. They don't think that thing is as amazing as I do. right? And they've gone through all that same experience elsewhere. And Mm -hmm. there's still lines or moments or angles or stuff that they go, oh, why is that like that? Right. That's how they feel about it.
1: Well, I think there's moments of that for Amadeus in the movie. I think there are moments uh, with Mozart where he he does give Salieri credit. He does give certain people credit for the things that they're doing because he knows he can't. There's a piece of him that understands that he can't and he hates that he can't. And that's why he hides in the liquor. That's why he hides in the partying. He hides in the creating the debts. It's his way of not facing the truth of the fact that he cannot conform society. And if he conforms, he, he feels like it's the death of him internally and externally. Yeah, absolutely yeah. true.
0: Um, I want to talk about the casting a yeah, little yeah, bit. Sure, uh, get back a little bit more on some of the filmmaking stuff. This is definitely yeah. I mean, there's so much ideas and philosophy to discuss in this film. It's such a great one. Uh, uh, but one of the interesting, so Milo. I know I've talked about casting before. Mm-hmm. It's obviously an un, unsung, unrecognized art form. Milo's Foreman talks a lot about it. Yeah, his feeling is, if you cast well, directing is fairly easy. If you don't cast well, it's really hard. And if you listen to how this casting process w- worked, it went on and on and on. Jeffrey Jones says that he was being cast for like six months. He kept oh having my to come in. God. And at a certain point, he went, oh, I guess this is really we're just rehearsing the play or <laughs> rehearsing the film. Right? Um, with, with F. Murray Abraham, he came in to, to do audition for different parts. He came in wow. to audition for one of the emperor's four guys. I forget which one it was. Yeah, sure. One of them, and he came in and he, he did pretty well. And yeah. and F. Mary Abraham, not a star, no, in any way. Well, yeah. I mean, he had been in he was commercials. on stage and he had been in commercials. Does some right, done
1: some stuff. Yeah, and,
0: and and but never been hugely. He was a working. He was mm-hmm. a basic working actor, mm-hmm. to the point where he had started to. Uh, be more of a the homebody and cook dinners oh, and like wow. he was kind of going, maybe this is not that it's not for me, right. but but oh, I'm not going to be a star yeah. like that And so he comes in for this part, uh, does a reading, does fine. Mm-hmm. And then the person who was supposed to come in to read with somebody else for uh, Salieri didn't show. And so um, Milos says, hey, can you pl- stay along and, and read this part? Wow. Which is like the actor's dream, right? <laughs> that is literally like, and Steven Spielberg comes along and says, hey, could you mind coming in? So he goes, sure, I'll do this. <laughs> and he's thinking at the time, look, I know I'm not up for this part, but you damn well better believe I'm going to put some spin on this Absolutely. thing. I mean, I'm going to go full on. And Milos said, thanks a lot. And said, hey, can you come back next time and maybe do that again and just yeah. read it again for me? And as it's going, Milos foreman, who has been looking at stars, yeah. you know, bigger actress play this. He suddenly went, this is Salieri. Yeah. This is the guy who keeps looking up at the big stuff. And this is the guy with lots of, and F. Murray Abraham, from what I understand, is a big personality. He's yeah. got a lot of passion, mm-hmm. got a strong beliefs. And he went, this is, it got some anger. Mm-hmm. And they went, this is it. And so he finally says. At one point, he says, "Tells uh, uh, F. Murray Abraham, I just want to let you know, you're my one number one choice for the role now." And and F, being you know an intense guy, says, "Well, what the fuck does that mean? Because you're not saying that I have the part. Like, what does that mean? Do I, you know?" Uh, and eventually, finally, gets cast in it. And then, like another one is uh, Elizabeth Barrage. Yeah.
1: So originally, do you know I was supposed to play that part originally? Uh, uh, Diane Franklin was one of the people they'd mentioned. Meg Tilly. Meg Tilly. Right. Meg Tilly. Oh, and Meg she Tilly. had an hamstring injury or something.
0: Right? right. She 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 goes to Prague. She's playing soccer with some kids, I think, and pulls her Achilles tendon or something. Oh man. So she's out for months. I love her too, man. Oh yeah, and you can see that's a whole. It's a totally different movie. Totally. It, completely yeah. different. Yes. Because Elizabeth Barrage's performance is really odd. Yeah. Um, so he goes to, he goes, we got to cast someone new. Goes back to L.A. Has two women audition, 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 yeah. audition. Yeah. Finally says, I can't tell. Let's fly them both to Prague because they're already shooting. He flies both actresses to Prague. Isn't this crazy? Says, let's get them in the costumes on the sets with the act- the real actors and let's do it. Now, how do you feel about this at this moment as an Do you an actor? know
1: why we go insane? This is why we yeah. go insane. This is, I've, you know, when I was younger, I used to get mad at actors who had 26 page writers or whatever. Right. But I get it yeah. now because you're like, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. You're going to put green, M- green M&Ms. I want white lilies. I want yeah. new toilet paper. And you know, like you, because you just like, if you're going to put me through the ringer, I'm going to get a little payment out of this. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'm offer only. Yeah, fuck you. You yeah. want me?
0: Put me. You. give me an offer. That's and I'll go right. And so they go there. They do an audition day one. Yeah, he says I still can't decide. Oh my god. So they stay there for two weeks. Wow. Two weeks. They're Paid. doing a Paid, yeah. I mean, I don't know what they. What I'm sure they were sure paid, They, were but paid. they got to be paid at this yeah, point. Yeah. And then finally, two weeks. This is how he announces who he casts. He says, "I've been thinking about it. You're both wonderful actresses. You're both so good. And finally, I decided that because she's the daughter of a landlady, she's not an elegant person. Right. That I will pick the less pretty of you two, <laughs> oh, and that's who I'm going to cast. And that's Elizabeth Barrett. Wow. Milos is a bit of a dick.
1: Well he's an eastern european guy yeah. so he's got a like a sensibility of like just telling the truth yeah you know yeah you're right a little bit that's a little bit of a jerk move i agree with you there um and what do you think of what do you think of her performance i liked barrage's performance and he's right she's not an attractive woman she's not unattractive What is it? she's not unattractive she's not beautiful I, she's not, watched, for me I'm my personal taste Sure. to me she's not an attractive woman but she's very talented in the part and works for the part because you know, sometimes you see these things with these uh, artists. They marry women that are very solid, down-to-earth women, and they go and cheat on them with all these other women. You know, because they're artists for whatever reason, right or wrong, they do it. Sinatra did the same thing. Nancy Sinatra, Nancy Barbato is not was never the most attractive woman, but she's good, solid, base, homebody woman right. for him, and he was able to go and have like all these affairs all over town in Hollywood uh, and wherever. Uh, as long as she had her. And that's what, that's, that's what, uh, Constance, uh, served the purpose in the film of that. But it's believable that F. Murray would try to seduce her. It's believable because F. Murray is not the most attractive guy either. So it works for them together in those, that nipples of Venus scene is one of the most sexually amazing scenes I've ever seen without any clothes coming off. Did you see? Did you watch the director's cut or the not director's cut? Yes, I watched the director's cut and both. I've watched both, and I like the regular cut better than the director's cut. I agree because the director's cut makes it too overt, and it makes it offensive as opposed to subtle, which is what I like about the director's cut. uh, The regular cut.
0: Let's explain what the difference is because I think this is key. And this is, you know, we've talked a little bit about director's cuts before. Yeah. That sometimes it's really the director and this is really the film I wanted and the studio didn't let me. Here's my director's cut. That would be Blade Runner. Right. Blade Runner. Uh, Sometimes it's maybe we can make a little more money out of this thing. Let's put in
1: some extra scenes. And I think that's what this is. Yeah. It's like cinema Paradiso. Same thing. Cinema Paradiso. the director's cut is worse than the original cut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they say
0: in the commentary track, this is why we took this out. So this is the, this is the setup. So there's a position being the tutor for one of the emperor's niece or something. Amadeus is broke, he could really use the money He's too proud, too angry, too not interested To come ask for the job So Constance, his wife, brings his original Original only copies of his music To Salieri and says Please will you look at this First of all, before we get to the the changes with the director's cut The moment of Salieri looking at this music And I want to get the quote right He says And music Finished as no music is ever finished
1: one note
0: and there would be diminishment this place won a phrase
2: and the structure
0: would fall it was clear to me that sound I had heard in the archbishop's palace had been no accident here again
1: was the very voice of God I was staring through the
0: cage of those meticulous ink strokes
2: at an absolute beauty
0: I was staring through the cage of those meticulous ink strokes at an absolute beauty yes that is one of my favorite lines of all time what a beautiful description i mean and this is how and as, as he's looking at each page you're hearing the music turns the page here's different yeah. music the reverence for music the way of speaking
1: about music
0: get, gives you that reverence mm-hmm. so you have this marvelous scene and then
1: in, and can i add one thing yes the frustrating passion with which he changes the pages oh yeah increases in rapidity yeah. and anger and oh, it's yeah. so great
0: yeah, because you could feel this beautiful music hurts him on the most profound level. Yes. Yeah, amazing scene. And mm-hmm. then she says, can you do anything? Will you recommend it? Right. And in the non-director's cut, in the original version, he walks out. Yes. And that is the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. In the director's cut, he says, come back tonight. And they have a discussion where he essentially says, you come back and have sex with me and I'll give him the gig. Yeah. That is a profound difference between the two movies. Mm-hmm. Huge difference, uh, and I think
1: it's they made the correct choice in the theatrical. Absolutely path. agree. Because for what for all of Salieri's uh, foibles or flaws, they are from a place of frustration of the situation, and they're, they're understandable. You can connect and forgive him. The overtness of trying to seduce. His wife and Mozart's wife, and to use her for sex, as a way to destroy Mozart, and as a way to, uh, in you know, burrow himself into their relationship. Uh, Is a horrible thing that a character cannot come back from in my opinion because the way he does it in the scene It's so dismissive and disgusting and offensive that any possible connection you have with him is lost as an audience
0: It is it is overtly evil. Yes rather than covertly. evil, Yes the the basically I would say without that scene Salieri does very little that's actually evil, really mm-hmm. evil, throughout mm-hmm. the film. He's kind of nasty to Mozart. Right. He s- spreads a little gossip about him. He does. But the gossip is probably true, you know, or, or right. true ish. It's not, you know, that's your basic, I'm a rival of yours, I say not mm-hmm. so nice things behind your back. Other than, you know, he commissions him to do some music dressed right. as a thing. Right. But that's not evil. He doesn't kill the guy. No. Like, he actually, but that scene is evil. Yes. And it is actively evil overtly publicly doing something horrible to another person.
1: He is essentially raping her without physically raping yeah. her. Yeah.
0: It's, it's high sexual harassment. Yes. It's very clear. You sleep with me and you get the
1: game. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and, and that's where I, I w- it's hard to get the non-director's cut. Do you have a copy of the non-director's
1: yeah. cut? Yeah. I have it on uh, DVD.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I only have the director's cut. Um, cause there's also the dog scene, which I'm like, I don't, yeah, it's not it's, necessary. No. We can make that go away. No. Um, uh, yeah, and I think it, and this goes into where things that existed on a page might have made perfect sense, and then you make editorial choices. Yeah. That are stronger And we go Oh we don't need this
1: scene It's not necessary Yeah I think that's something You can definitely talk about Steve Because Or we can definitely talk about I mean uh, Because the editing in the film Is so fantastic I mean the cutting in between Like I was mentioning earlier The cutting in between The the landlady and the aria, The cutting in between uh, The different places That he ends up As he falls Tumbles further and further Down the social ladder Where he's like Dealing with Simon Callow Who I absolutely hate As a person For the crap he says About Orson Welles It drives me insane I will say that publicly on this podcast, mm-hmm. if he ever hears it, we can have words. <laughs> I really hate how he treats Orson Welles and his books. He writes about Orson Welles. He's a high fluting guy who thinks he knows more. So when he plays that part, it's such a perfect part for him uh, because mm-hmm. that's where he'd be—the lower rung part, doing the stuff. And it's fun. It's playing for the masses, right? The pa 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 the bird stuff. It's for Mozart. It's like it's he could be in a coma and write that kind of jazz. It means nothing, right? But he needs it for money, and he yep. needs these kinds of things. And we see the cutting and the editing as he gets further. The cuts get further, and just because he furthers. you you feel his pain more as he gets down, lower and lower in not only emotionally but also socially, and then. When he gets his health, he gets so white. The oh, makeup they really do when he's makeup. so white—it's yeah. so great. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, the and what's interesting, even as he's getting lower, Salieri's there watching. Yeah.
1: Yep, like and he, he shows loves up. the magic flute. Yes, he loves
0: the magic flute. Yes, yeah. Uh, the the uh, one of the interesting things, just on a filmmaking tip, is uh, um, Milos Forman loves multi-camera. He mm. shot many of the scenes with two cameras running at once. Wow! Yeah, many, many of them. Sometimes with three cameras. Oh my god! And there's uh, that's unheard of. It's very for unusual film. for feature film. Wow! The 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 there are advantages and disadvantages. The disadvantages are lighting. Yes. Lighting's much tougher. Of because normally if I'm shooting one way, well, then all my stuff and people's lunch and their crap and lighting rigs and all the stuff is on the other side. If I'm going to shoot two directions, I got to clear all that stuff up. All the lights have to move up to the ceiling. Yeah. It's much harder to do. The advantages is in the editing process. Sure. Is everything's easy to cut together. Yes. And what he said, this is what he did on some of the scenes. He said he'd have three cameras. <laughs> so he has two cameras shooting the main people talking. Yeah. And then he told the third camera, you just do whatever you want. You rove around, you come in, You and, and then he told the actors, you could be on camera at any time. Wow. And so it makes it more theatrical. It makes yes. it more like a play. Yes. Is that you got to be always in it. You're not an actor standing off camera throwing someone lines. You've got to be in the scene. So when you get to which is I think not only one of the not only the finest scene in the film, but maybe my favorite scene in one of my favorite scenes in all of film is composing the requiem. Yes, that's two cameras running at the same time. Wow, Um, and. And what's happening, so this is a scene where Mozart is very ill, he's yeah. almost dying, and Salieri, and this is completely apocryphal, this has never happened, right. Salieri <laughs> comes and says, let me help you, and Mozart dictating out of his mind <sighs> the Requiem, which is one of the great pieces of music of mm-hmm. all time, and it is an entirely technical scene. Yeah. There is, it is so, It's you saw it, on, if, if a producer saw this on the page, they would go, what is this? Right. You know, because they're just going, it's A flat, No. and now the, now the trumpets, and the cello comes in on this, and it's like, there's nothing there and yet you see it Mm -hmm. and it is remarkable and hear it and hear it because you're hearing the music as there so we are in the minds of mozart and salieri as they hear the music as it's being described yeah
2: first bassoon tenor trombones with the tenors go too fast do you have it go go too fast do you have it first bassoon tenor trombone what with the tenors Identical? Of course. The instruments I... doubling the voices. Now, trumpets and timpani, no. trumpets in D. No, no. T- listen no, to no, me. I don't understand. Listen. Trumpets in D, tonic and dominant, first and third beats. It goes with the harmony. Yes, sir. yes, yes.
1: Yes, I understand. Yes, yes. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. Strings in unison. Astonado on A, like this. <laughs> Next measure is rising. <laughs> Do
2: you have yes, it? Yes, yes, yes I think me. so. It's wonderful. Yes, 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 yes. Go on.
0: And part of what's happening is... Uh, two things. one is they have earpieces in their ears yes. so that they can hear the music. so when he when he's going they' they're in, they're in uh, pitch and they're in rhythm. yes. and the other thing that's happening is that Tom Hulse is improvising and changing the lines what yeah and and it's so he's leaving things out consciously. <gasps> so when Salieri says, you know what, there's something else, the trumpets to the this. <laughs> He's actually responding to the fact that Tom Hulse didn't give him all the information. That's amazing. Yeah. And there's one moment where there's sort (laughs) of a long pause. Well, the reason there's a long pause is that the earpiece stopped working, so he didn't hear the music. So Salary's going, What, what, sir? (laughs) What is next? Is because of the. And and so, and what both of them say is you can only do this with another great actor who's in it. Of course. Yeah. Um, And the scene is so profound. Uh, It's a remarkable piece of music and to hear it come together
1: is amazing It's almost emotional to talk about because it's as deep as you're going to go as a human being to watch another human being compose their death and uh, you are you are helping them compose their death and we've come to care about Mozart so much by this point we've seen his flaws we've seen his positives and we've seen his uh, terrible negatives but we can't help but cheer for him because he cannot help himself it is not overt what he's doing to himself it is who he is and Mozart and Salieri gets redeemed because he cannot resist being close to this flame no matter what he does no matter how he's tried to destroy him he cannot resist respect this genius and in that scene we get to see we get to love salieri we get to love his loving of mozart's music and he's able to be himself when he's composing with him he's like no you go too fast you go too fast you know he's like he, he is an equal with him for the first time ever and i think in the film and is ironically as he's dying well not an equal he's a student you know what i mean like he's a <sighs> yeah okay he he i mean what, what's interesting
0: is to me it's like it's almost a love scene
1: you know, Ooh, that's a great point. Steve. You yes, know. absolutely.
0: Is that is that here are these people who are enemies throughout the whole film, but their love of music is the most profound thing in their lives. Yeah. And what comes brings them together in the end is the love of music and creating music. And that in that we you're absolutely right. There is no artifice in Salieri in the yeah. scene mm-hmm. where we've seen him covered with layers of facades. This is the real him yeah. and is the one eager to sit literally at the feet of of his idol and to help him and to understand the moment of creation to be at the birth of this music and share it with him. It is a deeply passionate, Romantic scene in its way mm-hmm. And here's the, it's the moment of this guy's death Who he has planned yeah. who, who he has wanted dead Yes, It's a remarkable
1: scene We'll have to agree to disagree Because I believe that they're equals Because he tells him to slow down He tells him these things that a student would not tell a teacher He tells them what to do He tells them what he needs And he, and he b- b- forces him to keep going You know, and I, so to me I see them as more, it's the first time He feels somewhat of an equal And yes, but you're also right that he's teaching him he's showing him how he composes because Salieri gets frustrated yeah it makes no sense it makes no sense he goes no 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 listen just listen he makes him slow down as well he makes Salieri slow down as well and not get frustrated by his inability to grasp it but rather to let go and trust him and hear what he's trying to create
0: Salieri has to be talented yes. and has to be skilled right. to be in this scene. He cannot be a, a nobody. It can't be you and me. You right. and I couldn't do anything in that scene. No, no, we didn't I, know what to do. I wouldn't, know, I wouldn't even know. Is that it, what it is? Is that Mozart is just a couple of steps beyond him, mm-hmm. and that this is what it, Salieri actually is being elevated. Yes. to the next level. That's great. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, the yeah, it's 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 an amazing scene, mm-hmm. um, and I think I cry every time. Oh yeah, every yeah, time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I was just. So mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: First of all, is... greatest segue I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed, Mr. Morris. Is Salieri, Salieri mediocre? Uh, I would say uh, when this film came out, you could make that claim that he was mediocre because his film, his music had gotten lost to history. But ironically, and I found this doing a little bit of research before the podcast, his music enjoyed a rebirth has, after yeah. this movie. And so, I don't know if you would say mediocre. I'm not a classical music artist no, to say. I, and you misunderstood my question.
0: Okay. Okay. Is the character of Salieri in this film a mediocre? man
1: no not i think not
0: at all i don't think he's mediocre at all i think if you even look at the other characters within the film if you look at jeffrey jones if sure. you look at he is he is the only person superior to salieri is mozart Absolutely. other than that he's next guy yeah i don't think he's me- mediocre in the least and
1: yet he feels mm. mediocre because there is someone who reflects his mediocrity in his mind back yeah. to him yeah yeah and and this idea of the i i
0: Because I'm with your dad, by the way, the patron saint of mediocrity, (laughs) blessing us all. I feel it. It's, you know? Yeah. Particularly as I've grown older. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, we're all these people who shot for the clouds, and we ended up. You know, at a moderate elevation <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, and that's sort of it
1: I, I feel it Yeah, I, we well, ha- I think a lot of us have somebody in our lives That we wish we could be
0: as great as You know? I think, it's all I relative For me also, you know, is that In my mind as a very young man yeah, I thought I was Orson Welles I thought I was Mozart, sure. like that's what I thought mm-hmm. And that, first of all, then I came into contact As you described with people who are Oh wow, no, that's not me yeah. Look at that, look at that guy, yeah. look at her Like yeah. she's amazing, you know, like and then also sort of, you know, the process of life is to be neither Salieri nor, nor Mozart, mm-hmm. but to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and be that. You know, and to be comfortable within your own skin. And this is a film about people who are profoundly uncomfortable within their own skin. Yeah. And so there's a lot there's a lot to
1: wrestle with, you mm-hmm. know. There's a lot to feel with as this film goes on. I want to ask you a question as well because we haven't touched on this. What do you think about Because I think it's a real subtle... Uh, statement that he's making throughout the film, Milos, and I think the play as well. This idea of God versus man. This idea the pri- that he uses, Salieri purposely uses a priest. He always uses vehicles right. to enact his vengeance. He is purposely using this priest to deflower this priest. He is d- erasing. He's, he's messing him up. He's yeah. messing him up. Yeah. I mean, by the end, the priest is a sweaty mess. Yeah, and he is questioning his faith. Yeah, and that was Salieri's desire from the beginning. Uh, yeah, interesting. In, in, in I almost, thought about it that
0: way, but yes. Yeah, in right. almost
1: in a demonic way that he wants to expose the ridiculousness of religion, the fallacy of it. And I think a little bit of that is there throughout the entire film because mm-hmm. of how they talk about God and how he talks about how could God do this, God do that. But at the end, when he's... But through the whole film with the priest, when he's an old man, he is trying to unsettle the priest and get him to question his faith in God.
0: But what I wonder is... Does Salieri at the end of the film believe in God, or does he not? I think he does. Yes. I think he does because I don't think he's getting him to question his faith in God. Mm. I think he's getting him to question whether or not God's a good guy. Oh, that's even deeper. You okay, know? fair. Because he's not saying there's no that. God. Like, I accept that. Like me, the atheist, I yeah. go well. Obviously, there's no God, and you guys, mm. well, there's your whole construction of Salieri. You're nuts, right? Like that's not what that's not what's happening. No, no, God no. did not kill Dad. What he's saying is God is a jerk. That's a great point. God has, all the evidence suggests Mm -hmm. that God has mocked me my whole life. And you remember he has that speech is that if, because his plan, I think, is that he's going to play the Requiem as if he wrote it. Yeah. He doesn't end up getting to do that. Right. But that's his idea. And his reason is, is then I could laugh at God. Yeah. Is that I'm going to put one over on that asshole. Mm -hmm. That's his plan is because at first God is a great person because God has killed his father to allow him. pursue music. Yeah. Then he presents him with Mozart. No, God is obviously making fun of me.
1: Right. That's uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's some twisted stuff. It is, listen, uh, for a 14 year old watching him th- who, who grew up in a super religious household, watching him throw the crucifix in the fire. I was losing my mind in the theater. Right. It felt like a sack To watch something like that, even I at the time, you know, you get so viscerally involved in a film. You sometimes you can't separate yourself when you're young and you're still figuring out your emotions. When I saw that, I was so uncomfortable and scared for the movie because of what he did. I was like, right. it, was, it, was, it was a you violation. Can't do that. It's almost, and, and I don't want to stay too far, but it's almost like a, a crime. It wouldn't say a rape, but there's something like religious, well, sacrilegious. yeah, sacrilegious. And so for me, it was so difficult to the see that. But uh, ironically, five years later, I used that uh, monologue for a year as my audition mm. for anything I went into, you know, the, you know, uh, what he says, uh, Grazie tante, and yeah. all this. And he's talking about, because I think that's the universal moment is when he's saying like, you know, why,
0: well, why? There's, there's that great moment in the West Wing where Bartlett yells at God in Latin, in the church. Yes, after, after What's-Her-Face has died. After His Secretary Mrs. Laningham has died. Mrs. Laningham, yeah. And that, that is the... If if you believe in God yeah. and if you believe that God is just and has a plan, right. then at some point you must come up against that. Yes. You know, now, whether you not come out on the other side and still like, yes, I still believe. And I right. still that's, that's your personal business. Absolutely. But you must come up against like, why is there tragedy? Why is this happening in the world? Yeah. Um, and, and, and what's interesting to me, I think Salieri believes at the end of the film, he's a really bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he believes he killed Mozart yes. on some level.
1: Yeah. Whether it's true or not. He but believes he it. didn't.
0: No Like he, he if, Particularly if you cut that one scene With him uh, Harassing What's her name Yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Constance, yeah Constance Constance um, He hasn't really done that much That's really bad He yeah. is. He has not committed mortal sins He's committed mm-hmm. What's in, in the next The lower sin is I don't know I don't know not venal. Anyway, you're the Catholic. You're supposed to know these things. Yeah, but I'm a lapsed Catholic, um, so <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, he's committed minor sins. Yeah. You know, a few confessions, a few mm-hmm. Hail Marys, you get out of that stuff. Right. But his conception of himself, and I think he even says somewhere in the movie, he's going to hell. Yeah. You know, he is, because he, he, in his mind, has put him, pit himself
1: against God. Yes. He is essentially sided with the devil. Which is, once again, what you were saying, solipsistic, right? Everything is about him about him, to the point where he feels grandiose enough as a human being that he can take on an omnipotent, omniscient creator of life. Yep. Toe to toe. Yep. It's well, amazing. Th-
0: this is the arrogance of the artist, yeah. in a way. <laughs> That's I mean, a very good point. Yeah, I mean, that is what, that is what we're doing. Yeah. We're, we, we are substituting ourselves for God yeah. and saying, I can create life. Yeah. I can create music. I can create beauty on my own. We are
1: Frankensteins. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And often what we put out is monsters. Yes. yes. Yeah. And what you see with Salieri is he becomes his own monster at, t- at times throughout the movie. Yeah. And especially at the end, you see what years of the guilt have done to his face, to his body to his general, uh, appearance. Yeah. You know, he is this, he's almost looks like the guy from phantasm, you know, he almost has that kind of like the hole oh, yeah. in the hair and the long, he's just, uh, uh, you know, he's just that he's almost dead, a walking dead in a way, you yeah. know, uh, but, so yeah that's what
0: we think about Amadeus <laughs> we would love to hear what you think There's, yeah. this movie is a lot to talk about I yeah. feel like we only scratched the surface yeah um uh you could always visit us on our Facebook page at the cinephiles uh you can reach me at SR Morris
1: on Twitter oh yeah you can reach me uh at the Roka says follow me on Instagram or on Twitter there it's R-O-C-H-A Yeah. And uh, so we'd love to hear your
0: thoughts on Amadeus. We would love to hear your suggestions for future films for us to take a look at. Absolutely. And I think that's it for this week. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Thanks for tuning into the Cinephiles.